last week ended with two statements being released on the subject of Francis's suppression of the Latin Mass. The first by the Superior General of the Society of St. Pius X, the SSPX, and the other was by the Auxiliary Bishop from Kazakhstan, whose name, if I say it on this platform, gets me in some hot water, to my eternal mystery. But his statements come by way of an interview with the remnant that they published on their website. Since interviews make for poor audio, you know, reading the question and answer, I'll just have a couple of excerpts here for you at the start, followed by formal statements by the SSPX, and both are linked on my in my show notes at my sources blog at returntotradition.org if you want to be able to read them for yourself. Just a note, however, I do not believe the SSPX to be in schism, nor that Archbishop Lefebvre did anything really wrong. That whole situation is far more complicated than any anti-SSPX commentator or bishop is willing to admit, and in these times we need to stop with the internal squabbling that only serves the pack-a-papa Francis's of the world. That having been said, I'll start with a statement from the Auxiliary Bishop from Kazakhstan. The good bishop begins by answering a simple question. What did he think of the document, to which he replied, quote, My initial impression was of a shepherd who, instead of having the smell of his sheep, is angrily beating them with a stick. End quote. Beautifully put and rather succinct. Now, the most important part, though, is when he speaks about obedience. Do we owe it to Francis on this topic? He goes into detail on this after exposing the errors of the document and the blatant dishonesty Francis displayed, or more likely his writer on it. But on obedience to, to Francis on this, we are told, quote, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger spoke about the limitations of the powers of the Pope regarding the liturgy, with this illuminating explanation. The Pope is not an absolute monarch whose will is law. Rather, he is the guardian of the authentic tradition, and thereby the premier guarantor of obedience. He cannot do as he likes, and he is thereby able to oppose those people who, for their part, want to do whatever comes into their head. His rule is not that of an arbitrary power, but that of obedience in the faith. That is why, with respect to the liturgy, he has the task of a gardener, not that of a technician, who builds new machines and throws the old ones on the junk pile. The rite, that form of celebration and prayer which has ripened in the faith and the life of the church, is a condensed form of living tradition in which the sphere using that rite expresses the whole of its faith and its prayer. And thus, at the same time, the fellowship of generations, one with another, becomes something we can experience, following with the people who pray before us and after us. Thus, the rite is something of benefit that is given to the church, a living form of paradosis, the handing on of tradition. The traditional mass is a treasure that belongs to the entire church, since it has been celebrated and deeply regarded and loved by priests and saints for at least a thousand years. In fact, the traditional form of the Mass was almost identical for centuries before the publication of the Missal of Pope Pius V in 1570. An almost 1,000-year-old valid and highly esteemed liturgical treasure is not the private property of a pope which he can freely dispose of. Therefore, seminarians and young priests must ask for the right to use this common treasure of the Church, and should they be denied this right, they can use it nevertheless, perhaps in a clandestine manner. This would not be an act of disobedience, but rather of obedience to Holy Mother Church, who has given us this liturgical treasure. The firm rejection of an almost 1,000-year-old liturgical form by Pope Francis represents, in fact, a short-lived phenomenon compared to the constant spirit and praxis of the Church." End quote. 
I'll definitely go more into this in the coming days as it pertains to what Francis has done and as we see the implementation continue to roll out. But the short version is that the good bishop here tells us that we do not owe blind obedience to Francis on this or anything else that would, or any other pope even, on anything that where they would try to fundamentally change the faith. And for those of you who understand what some of our hang-ups about Vatican II are, that is a very profound statement coming from the good bishop. And I do expect him to actually release a formal document of his own in the coming days, as well as one from Vigano, so stay tuned for all of that. But now is the letter from the Superior General of the Society of St. Pius X. His central message is that this is a time of choosing. The faith, or a new expression of secular ideals embraced by the institutions of the Church. Letter from Father Pagliariani about the modu proprio traditiones custodes. Dear members and friends of the Priestly Society of St. Pius X, The modu proprio traditiones custodes and the letter that accompany it have caused a profound upheaval in the so-called traditionalist movement. We can point out, quite logically, that the era of the hermeneutics of continuity, with its equivocations, illusions, and impossible efforts, is radically over, swept aside with the wave of a sleeve. These clear-cut measures do not directly affect the society of St. Pius X. However, they must be an occasion for us to reflect deeply on the situation. To do so, it is necessary to step back and ask ourselves a question that is both old and new. Why is the Tridentine Mass still the apple of discord after 50 years? First of all, we must remember that the holy sacrifice of the Mass is the continuation in time of the most bitter struggle that has ever existed, the battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. This combat culminated at Calvary in the triumph of our blessed Lord. It was for this struggle, and it was for this victory, that he became incarnate. Since our Lord's victory was through the cross, and through his precious blood, it is understandable that its perpetuation will also be marked by conflicts and contradictions. Every Catholic is called to this combat. Our Lord reminded us of this when he said, that he came to bring the sword upon the earth. See Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. It is not surprising that the Mass, which perfectly expresses our Lord's definitive victory over sin through his atoning sacrifice, is itself a sign of contradiction. But why has the Mass become a sign of contradiction within the Church itself? The answer is simple and increasingly clear. After 50 years, the various elements that confirm the answer have become obvious to well-informed Catholics. The Tridentine Mass expresses and conveys a conception of Christian life, and consequently a conception of the Catholic Church that is absolutely incompatible with the ecclesiology that emerged from the Second Vatican Council. The problem is not simply liturgical, aesthetic, or purely technical. The problem is simultaneously doctrinal, moral, spiritual, ecclesiological, and liturgical. In a nutshell, it is a problem that affects all aspects of the Church's life, without exception. It is a question of faith. On one side is the Mass of all times. It is the standard of a church that defies the world and is certain of victory, for its battle is nothing less than the continuation of the battle that our blessed Lord waged to destroy sin and to destroy the kingdom of Satan. It is by the Mass and through the Mass that our Lord enlists Catholic souls into his ranks by sharing with them both his cross and his victory. From all this follows a fundamentally militant conception of Christian life that is characterized by two elements, a spirit of sacrifice and an unwavering supernatural hope. On the other side stands the Mass of Paul VI. It is an authentic expression of a church that wants to live in harmony with the world 
and that lends an ear to the world's demands. It represents a church that, in the final analysis, no longer needs to fight against the world because it no longer has anything to reproach the world. Here is a church that no longer has anything to teach the world because it listens to the powers of the world. It is a church that no longer needs the sacrifice of our blessed Lord because, having lost the notion of sin, it is no longer has anything for which to atone. Here is a church that no longer has the mission of restoring the universal kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ because it wants to make its contribution to the creation on this earth of a better world that is freer, more egalitarian, and more eco-responsible, and all this with purely human means. This humanist mission that the men of the church have given themselves must necessarily be matched by a liturgy that is equally humanist and emptied of any notion of sacredness. This battle has been waged for the past 50 years, which has just seen a highly significant event on July 16th. It is not a simple war between two rights. It is indeed a war between two different and opposing conceptions of the Catholic Church and of Christian life, conceptions that are absolutely irreducible and incompatible with each other. In paraphrasing St. Augustine, one could say that the two masses have built two cities. The Mass of all times has built a Christian city. The new Mass seeks to build a humanist and secular city. Since Almighty God has allowed this, it is certain for a greater good. Firstly, for ourselves, who have undeserved good fortune of knowing the Tridentine Mass, and who can benefit from it, we possess a treasure with a value we do not always appreciate, and which we perhaps preserve too much out of simple habit. When something precious is attacked or scorned, we begin to appreciate better its true value. May this shock, provoked by the harshness of the official texts of July 16th, serve to renew, deepen, and rediscover our attachment to the Tridentine Mass. This Mass, our Mass, must really be for us like the pearl of great price in the gospel, for which we are ready to renounce everything, for which we are ready to sell everything. He who is not prepared to shed his blood for this Mass is not worthy to celebrate it. He who is not prepared to give up everything to protect it is not worthy to attend it. This should be our first reaction to these events that have just shaken the Catholic Church. Our reaction as Catholic priests, as Catholic laity, must be profound and more far-reaching than all those feeble and sometimes hopeless commentaries. Our blessed Lord certainly has another objective in mind in allowing this new attack on the Tridentine Mass. No one can doubt that in recent years many priests and faithful have discovered this Mass, and that through it they have encountered a new spiritual and moral horizon, which has opened the door to the sanctification of their souls. The latest measures taken against the Mass will force those souls to draw all the consequences of what they have discovered. They must not choose, with all the elements of discernment that are at their disposal. What is necessary for every well-informed Catholic conscience? Many souls will find themselves faced with an important choice that will affect their faith, because, and let us say it once more, the holy sacrifice of the Mass is the supreme expression of a, of a doctrinal and moral universe. It is therefore a question of choosing the Catholic faith in its entirety, and through it, choosing our Lord Jesus Christ with his cross, his sacrifice, and his universal kingship. It is a matter of choosing his precious blood, of imitating the crucified one, and of following him to the end, by a complete, rigorous, and coherent fidelity. The Society of St. Pius X has the duty to assist all those souls who are currently in dismay and are confused. Firstly, we have the duty to offer them the certitude that the Tridentine Mass can never disappear from the face of the earth. This is an absolutely necessary sign of hope. Moreover, each of us, whether priest or faithful, must extend a warm, helping hand to them, for he who has no desire to share the riches he enjoys is, in all truth, unworthy of possessing them. 
Only in this way will we truly love souls and show our love for the church. For every soul that we win to our blessed Lord's cross, and to the immense love that he manifested through his sacrifice, will be a soul truly won to his church, and to the charity that animates his church, which must be ours, especially at this present time. It is to Our Lady of Sorrows that we entrust these intentions. It is to her that we address our prayers, since no one has penetrated deeper than Our Blessed Lady, the mystery of the sacrifice of Our Lord Jesus Christ, and of his victory on the cross. There is no one greater than Mary who has been so intimately associated with his sufferings and his triumph. It is in her hands that Our Blessed Lord has placed the whole Catholic Church. It is, therefore, to her that the most precious thing in the Catholic Church has been entrusted, the testament of our Lord Jesus Christ, the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Signed, Don David Pagliarani, Superior General of the Society of St. Pius X, on the Feast of St. Mary Magdalene, July 22, 2021. Let me know what you think of all this in the comments, please. It is a time for choosing, and both the Good Bishop and the Superior General of the SSPX agree. So prayerfully figure out what you will do, because these are the times in the Church that try men's souls. If you think this will be helpful to others, please share it, and like and subscribe if you haven't. As always, pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.